You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, storms, strong winds, the occasional automobile crash into a pole, our overhead power line system isn't perfect. Wouldn't it be better if we just buried them? Well, maybe yes, and maybe no. You pull into a gas station, choose your pump, turn off the engine, and get out and start pumping your gas. That's a pretty normal series of events for the average person, unless you're in New Jersey. So why does the Garden State insist on not letting you pump your own gas? I don't know about you, but my 10th birthday party featured a bunch of kids eating cake and shooting each other with Nerf guns. Not a private concert from Ed Sheeran. But unlike me, this is an actual possibility for many. We take a look into the secretive world of private concerts. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's go. Jay, my family and I uh, just got back from vacation. First beach trip with two kids. So I've got a three and a half year old. And a six-month-old, and let me tell you, man, as you well know, vacation with little kids is not for the faint of heart. No, and I'm getting ready to go on vacation with my three young kids. Uh, when you're listening to this, I'll be at that vacation, and it's uh, it's not relaxing. I, re- I remember when vacation used to be relaxing. I would just pull up casually and go to the beach when I wanted and eat when I wanted and just kind of enjoy the day at my own pace. But now, you're kind of creating an experience for someone else. So you're constantly having to make sure your kids aren't like eating sand or that they need a snack. Yeah, there's kind of a grieving period you go through. There's kind of a death. <laughs> you, you die to fun vacation you and you become like rules vacation you because you're trying to keep people from right. dying. But some, some highlights of my recent trip, okay, they include multiple wrecks on the way back. So add three extra hours to the trip. Multiple viewings of the movie Boss Baby, except not the real movie, a Christmas special version of Boss Baby. <laughs> of course. And a nice combination of banana baby food throw up and Cheeto finger stains in my less than one year old. <laughs> so I-, I swear it was a fun time, though. I'm telling you. Oh, not to mention, I got poked in the eye by a coloring book and thought I was blind for like a day. I mean, that's, uh, that's just the stage that we're in. You know, we just got to embrace it. But Jay, at the beach, you typically get a lot more time. Time to think than you would during your normal, busy, landlocked life, even with kids. So during one of what I'll call my beach thinks, I noticed that the power lines at the beach are nowhere to be found. In fact, while it's not true of all beaches, this is the case at most beaches. Why is this, you ask? Well, it's pretty simple when you stop for a second to consider that they might be underground. And they are. I mean, think about it, Jay. It makes sense, right? All the heavy winds and stormy weather conditions that face a coastal area would constantly knock down traditional overhead power lines. When they're buried, you don't have any of these concerns. It doesn't take long when looking at the history of power outages in places like Texas or Florida to start to wonder, so why don't we always do this? Why don't we bury power lines everywhere? Wouldn't it make a lot of sense? Well, as with most big questions that we try to answer on commute, It always depends. 
You can't say undergrounding is all good or undergrounding is all bad. Theodore Curry, the director of energy studies at the University of Florida's Public Utility Research Center, told CNN, it's something that needs to be looked at on a case-by-case basis. And Jay Curry is right. While buried power lines aren't affected by the challenges at play with overhead lines like wind or rain, they come with their own set of problems. For starters, they ain't cheap. An industry rule of thumb pricing estimate says the buried lines cost about $1 million per mile, or at least five times the cost of installation of overhead lines. And Jay, it also isn't easy. After a massive 2002 snowstorm left 23 million North Carolina residents without power, a task force was created to take a deep dive on the possibility of an underground system. The results? Well, the task force concluded that it would take more than a quarter century and $41 billion, that's billion (laughs) with a B, to install the lines. The cost of this, too, isn't a power company thing. It's a customer thing. So the report also concluded that the average customer's bill would go up by 125%. And unlike traditional power line repair, like, you know, a car hits a pole, the power company comes and fixes it, and your power's back on in, I don't know, four or five hours, underground repair is complicated. Even routine repairs take over 60% longer than overhead lines, and special repair crews have to travel to the repair site, often from out of your state. But Jay, problems aside, underground lines have benefits just beyond weather outages. Believe it or not, they also help to prevent terrorist attacks. The country is at a high risk, not just from hurricanes, but also from terrorism. Roger N. Anderson, a senior research scientist at Columbia University, told CNN... We worry in the homeland security world about anything that lasts more than 72 hours. That's when the food spoils in the refrigerator and freezer and people start getting desperate. And Jay, that's because much of our nation's critical infrastructure, including water, sewage, and natural gas lines, are already underground. That keeps them functional and free from any kind of interference. So will we see more underground lines as time goes? Uh, Probably. Aside from beaches, large crowded cities like New York or Washington, D.C. would really benefit from them. But Jay, I don't think you need to worry about it just yet. If your power goes out for multiple days, like it did a few years back during an ice storm in our hometown, you've always got a bed at my house for as long (laughs) as you need it. Well, I did take you up on that offer last time we did have an ice storm in our hometown. You definitely took me up. I think you stayed almost a week. Well, that's a little dramatic. Ate me out of house long. and home. But my kids were potty training during this time, and I was not going to have them stop potty training, even though we're staying at your house. Yeah, but you were a good sport about it. I mean, if you were building a city today, like from scratch, that's the way you would do it, though, right? I mean, I know that it's more expensive and more complicated, but that's what you would do. Right, if you were starting a city right now. Yeah, you'd have to go underground. You'd also go no stoplights. You do re- you do roundabouts. No stop signs, no stoplights. Like in the whole town, just roundabouts whole town. everywhere. Whole town, <laughs> straight roundabouts. So you're not going to consider a career change in city planning, hopefully, for, uh, for no, the future. I'm, I, feel str- I feel strongly about that. I, I hate traffic. You're like, whenever I was doing uh, Sim City or whatever, I used only roundabouts and my efficiency was crazy. <laughs> I will say the best part about you potty training your kids at my house was that you put their potties in the kitchen. You couldn't be bothered to put them away from the food. <laughs> you had the potties in the kitchen. Well, it was centrally I is, located. I want, think, I want you to think about that. <laughs>
So, Dave, did you know that you cannot pump your own gas in New Jersey? No, I didn't know that, and I cannot wait to hear about it. I'm so excited uh, because it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> now, the only person I've ever personally known that's had any kind of a feeling about this, at least that I knew about, was my, my grandma. So my grandmother, I remember as a kid, she would go to this one specific gas station in her small town because they would run out and pump your gas for you. And I was just thinking, this is crazy. Well, a lot of times, too, like when people you know, get used to a certain thing, like it's always been done this particular way, it's just they'll, they'll pay the little extra to keep it being done in that way you know so it's like it's like what i pump my own gas like i could see how you would carry that across generations if it had always been done for you or whatever did you know by the way that until like last year i thought you had to turn your car off when you were pumping gas or it was going to explode like a bomb <laughs> well, i don't, I don't right, think you're supposed to leave it on well uh, you can <laughs> though i mean people do all the time it's not going to explode i mean when's the last time you heard of a car exploding at a gas station because they left it on i mean half the people at sheets right now down the road they probably have their cars on. <laughs> so dave like we said in today's episode we're diving into the curious case of new jersey's ban on self-service gas stations yes in the garden state you cannot pump your own gas So to understand why New Jersey has maintained this band, we have to go back in time. The roots of the law can be traced back to the 1949 Retail Gasoline Dispensing Safety Act. This legislation aimed to protect consumers from potential hazards associated with gasoline handling and promote employment opportunities in the gas station industry. New Jersey lawmakers believed at the time that having trained attendants at every gas station would ensure safer operations and create job opportunities. But over the years, the ban on self-service gas stations has become sort of a defining characteristic of the state. While neighboring states embraced self-service in the 1970s during the oil crisis, New Jersey decided to hold its ground. The decision was met with mixed reactions, with some residents appreciating the convenience of having an attendant pump their gas, while others found it kind of frustrating, especially when traveling outside the state. Supporters of the ban argue that it helps maintain jobs in the gas station industry. With attendance required at every station, it ensures steady employment for many people who rely on these jobs to make a living. Additionally, proponents claim that the law contributes to the state's overall safety. By having trained attendants handle the gasoline, the risk of accidents and spills is reduced, and it protects the consumers and the environment. But on the other hand, critics argue that the ban is outdated and hinders economic growth. They point out that the rest of the country has embraced self-service gas stations without major safety issues, making the New Jersey law seem kind of unnecessary. Critics also claim that the ban artificially inflates gas prices in the state since an additional labor cost is passed on to the consumer. Despite the ongoing debate, though, Dave, New Jersey has made some exceptions to the ban in recent years. As of 2018, self-service stations were allowed in rural areas with a population of 10,000 or less. This change aimed to address concerns about limited access to gas stations, especially in more remote regions of the state. But why has New Jersey remained steadfast in its ban while all the other states have seemingly abandoned it? Well, part of it, Dave, might be due to the tradition and the resistance to change. But also some people, but particularly politicians in New Jersey, have been very resistant to changing this policy. In 2015, then-New Jersey General Assemblyman Declan O'Scanlan introduced a bill that would lift the ban. 
He said, I am offended by people that argue that New Jerseyans are mentally (laughs) incapable of pumping their own gas without setting themselves on fire. He said in a press statement, O'Scanlan made one semi-concession to the old law recommending that stations hang signs on gas pumps reminding people to turn off their engines. But despite this helpful suggestion, O'Scanlan's bill was not to be, as then-State Senate President Stephen Sweeney blocked the vote. I will oppose any attempt to rescind a law that has effectively served the best interest of the state's motorists for decades, Sweeney said in a press statement. As long as I am Senate president, the ban on self-serve will stay in place. We've been doing it the right way in New Jersey, Sweeney concluded. We should not change. So if you're visiting New Jersey and you need to fuel up, remember to sit tight in your car, Dave, and let the attendant handle it for you. Now, we might be able to break some news on this show. So this is not official yet, but there's actually another state that as of this moment, as of this recording, it is illegal to pump your own gas, Oregon. (laughs) But there is a bill, okay? Now, this bill is currently in their state Senate system. And and this is like multiple times through the years have they tried this, but it passed the House. So there's a a real possibility that it's going down in Oregon. (laughs) Do you think there's this level of fight to keep it in place as there is in New Jersey? There is a lot of chatter, put it that way. <laughs> Just let the people pump. Pump my you know gas. I mean? Pump my pump gas. They're like standing outside with let signs and stuff. Pump. Let <laughs> us pump. Hey, I will tell you, as somebody who's been pumping gas now for a long time, not that much fun. Getting out to pump the gas. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I mean, it would take the same amount of time to have somebody else do it, though, probably. Not that much fun. But yeah, then you don't have to touch the handle, either. That handle's got to be and jay finally what is something that you love so much that you either do splurge for it or you would splurge for it so like for example years ago i finally got a chance to go see my beloved dallas cowboys play live in dallas like, this had always been a dream of mine. I remember birthday parties as a kid making my wish every single year for Dallas Cowboys tickets, only to be disappointed by receiving yet another homemade sweatshirt. <laughs> so when the chance came my way, Jay, to finally do it, I had to do it. So I'm not saying I would have spent anything on the tickets, but I was willing to go pretty high. So how about you? You know, this is hard for me to talk about because I don't really splurge that much. Uh, I just don't buy things for myself very often. And when I do, I kind of am even talking myself out of things that I know that I need. So, you know, I'll roll with like one or two pair of work pants for way too long or something without buying a new one or something. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I did um, start like a second job teaching online on the side uh, and every once in a while I kind of get like paid in a lump sum for those. Right. So like the first time I ever got one of those checks, I was like, I I had to up myself for it. Like I had to be like, all right, I'm going to buy something for me. Like I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. (laughs) Like I had to, I had to, I had to get a long runway going before I could finally do it. Uh, so I bought a Nintendo switch. All right. And that was like, for me, that was just a, it was a cool thing because I just don't buy things for myself very often. And I was like, I'm going to buy one thing. For myself. I was really hoping that you were going to say something like really dumb. Like, <laughs> tell you what I've always wanted. I've always wanted a plane. I'm like, okay. All right, Jay. Like you Goodbye thought I was going to just tank your whole segment just for laughs. laughs. 
Uh, well, I will add, by the way, before I move on, that I, I ultimately landed on Cowboys tickets that were about $230 a piece. So not insane. Yeah. Uh, but it was the very top row. Okay, so like when I say top row, I mean there was no one behind Also, me. too, didn't you have to watch like the third string quarterback play who was like 45 years old or something? Well, Jay, for some <laughs> folks, <laughs> their outlet for a big spend is unique. A private concert from a household name artist. J.A. Private, as it's referred to in the music business, is an invite-only, off-limits performance by a big-name artist that you pay for for a special event. These could be Sweet 16 parties, corporate retreats, or random charity galas. And Jay, while these super-secretive concerts were historically reserved for the aging rock stars on the back end of their careers, the times, well, they have changed. In January of this year, Beyonce did her first show in more than four years, and it wasn't in a stadium, and it wasn't in a massive arena. It was in Dubai at the opening of a new hotel, and it was more than worth her time. She earned a reported $24 million for just a one-hour set. And here's the thing. (laughs) If you have the money, Jay, you could probably make this happen at your house. Robert Norman who heads the private events department at the talent agency CAA, told the New Yorker that when he joined the firm a quarter century ago, private bookings were for the -the middle-of-the-road artists that you'd typically imagine would play a kid's bar mitzvah. But things are different now, and money talks. Last year, we booked almost 600 dates, and we've got a team of people who are dedicated just to private events, Norman said. An agent at another big firm told me, a lot of people will say, hey, can you send me your private corporate roster? And I'm like, look, just look at the whole roster because everybody's pretty much willing to consider an offer. And he's not blowing hot air, Jay. Have an extra million dollars to spare? It's a real possibility that Paul McCartney, Elton John, or Rod Stewart would come play some songs in your basement. According to Norman, the list of artists who have and would probably strongly consider any private show offer, artists like Bon Jovi, John Mayer, Maroon 5, Katy Perry, and Eric Clapton, far exceeds the list of those who have said no, artists like Bruce Springsteen, Taylor Swift, and ACDC. And Jay, really, why wouldn't they do it? Some offers are so extreme that the artists simply can't refuse. For instance, Billboard reported that the legendary rock band The Eagles once received $6 million from an unnamed New York client to play just one song, Hotel California. (laughs) Of course, course that's the one. I'm just hoping it was the extended version. I think it's like seven minutes. But while in today's world, details like this leak out, they often don't. Photos are usually prohibited and artists don't really talk about it. And actually, the customer usually doesn't want to talk about it either. Well, $6 million for one Eagles song is a flex in some circles. It's an infuriating waste in others. At its core, though, Jay, this new world of expensive private shows comes from two places, according to The New Yorker. Industry changes and new levels of personal wealth. Industry changes reflects the changing flow of money in the music industry. In the 1990s, money came from CD sales. But when's the last time you purchased an actual album? Artists are now paid from digital subscription services like Spotify or Apple, and that percentage is far less than an album. And new money reflects the rise in, well, people with money. 
Since the year 2000, the number of American-based billionaires has tripled. And the same people who can spend a lot of cash for front-row concert tickets now have the cash to have a concert at their barbecue. And so, Jay, this is the reality of our times. While most musicians don't have lofty dreams of playing for 10 people at a birthday party or three people on a boat like the artist Flo Rida once did, the money <laughs> is just too lucrative. David Vicelli, a veteran booking agent in Chicago, told The New Yorker that he works hard to try and help musicians navigate the often unfamiliar territory. Vicelli, who founded the independent agency The Billions Corporation, has represented Arcade Fire, Bonnie Vare, and other acts. And when these big names aren't quite sure what to do, Vicelli tries to offer them some perspective. Corporate events can be sort of soul-destroying, he said. It's not really an audience. It's a convention or a party, and you just happen to be making noise at one end of it. But if you can say, hey, I'm going to go have a bad time for an afternoon, but it's going to pay for my kid's entire college education, and that's a trade-off I think most responsible adults will make. Did you ever watch that show on MTV growing up called My Super Sweet 16? Uh, I know the name, but no. <laughs> so the concept of My Super Sweet 16 was it, would, uh, it was kind of like Cribs, but for kids, you know, Cribs was a show on MTV where they would basically go to these like rich people's houses and walk around with cameras and it'd be like T-Pain or something. He'd be like, here's my pool. Here's my basketball court. And it was just like showing off their wealth, basically. So my super sweet 16 was about kids who were turning 16 who had so much money that they could throw these like bangers. Uh, and this was always part of the show is they would hire some artist that you just didn't expect would be on it and this person would show up to their 16th birthday 16th birthday party so like pitbull was on an episode <laughs> and like it's like how much money do these people have like this person's 16 Ima- who cares imagine if you will flow rider though playing for three people on a boat <laughs> it's like he has to stop at some point and be like this is kind of weird like i don't need a microphone like- right like I just sit here <laughs> you can sit here like let me just sing acapella. Like, or what's the audience doing? Like, are they are they <laughs> moving a little bit? Are they just sitting still? Are they clapping? <laughs> and that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Trump. We'll see you next week. I can't stand going to like Speedway because they have those little TVs. And I know, oh, that, I know that they do this for a particular reason. But like, I'll just get caught up watching the TV and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go in being like, I'll just put like $20 or something. And then I'll look over and it's, I'm like, oh, 27 because I've just been like watching, you know, <laughs> Speedway TV or whatever, which is exactly why they do it. So they stop doing it at Sheets. Um, it, probably because people have just been, they complained. They had, it, had, it had to be why they stopped doing it. But they had TVs that they popped up. They just like appeared during COVID, these TVs. And they would loop the same thing. And it was this like, come work at Sheets commercial. And it was like 15 seconds long. And the volume was off on most of them. So like a few of them, it would just be like, be a Sheets freak. Come work at Sheets. And da-da-da. But then there would be a few of them that would be like, come! Sheets! Be a sheets freak! <laughs> and it just, you know, 7 a.m., you just woke up, you're pumping gas for you to go to work. What a way to start the day.